0: Psalm 133 Behold how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion And there the Lord has commanded the blessing Laugh forevermore. And now I'm reading from uh, Matthew chapter 18 from verse 15. "If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault, between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. One more. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven.
1: Thank you so much, Carol, for always reading for us beautifully. So this morning we come to the fourth of the six sermons in our series called Thrive. So far in this series we have covered how to thrive spiritually, how to thrive physically, and how to thrive emotionally. And today we are looking at how to thrive relationally. Now, we recognize that these are areas of struggle. They are areas of strife. Not many people or not even one person who can claim to thrive in all these areas. Maybe we are not meant to thrive in all these areas while we are on this side of eternity. You see, because while we are on this side of eternity, sin and its consequences still has a hold on us. Therefore, we are not in heaven where we are free from the struggles of the earth which are brought by sin to us. <clears throat> what are we not hoping to achieve during this series? is not to promise you that when we come to the end of it, you will have received biblical tools that will enable you to thrive in all of them. I'm afraid that's not what we're hoping to achieve. However, what we're hoping to do during the course of this series is to provide you with a gospel-shaped tools or gospel-shaped attitude of these areas So that whether you thrive or you struggle on them, you don't let them be the definer of who you are. You are not your struggles. You are the son and the daughter of God who who may have a struggle in a certain area of your life. Paul, the first and the great theologian of the church, the man who wrote almost half of the New Testament, had... A thing that was called a thorn in the flesh. And different people have tried to articulate, what was it? What was this thorn in Paul's flesh? And one of them who made a career out of Paul's life, N.T. Wright, who wrote volumes and volumes on Paul's life and theology, was once asked, what do you think was this thorn in in Paul's flesh? He said, I have no idea. But whatever it is, I think it is something that made Paul to pray more and more. Whatever it is, I think it is something that made Paul to turn his heart and mind towards God. Whatever it is, it is something I believe that made Paul to come to God on his knees more regularly than he would have. I wonder if that is not the same case for you and I this morning as we reflect on the areas of struggle during the course of this uh, series, that maybe they are meant for you and I to pray more, to recognize our dependency on God, to turn to God more regularly. Now, I'm going to anchor my message on these two texts that we've read this morning, um, Psalm 133 and Matthew 18. I only have two points to make. The first one is together in unity. It's coming from the first text that we read, Psalm 133, when brothers live together in unity. The second one says if your brother sins against you, and it's from Matthew 18. And then we're going to have an application to see what do these mean to us? So let's begin. Psalm 133 gives us a beautiful picture. It gives us a picture of a healthy relationship. How is Christian healthy relationship look like? The message rendition of verses 1 of Psalm 33 says, How wonderful and how beautiful when brothers and sisters get along. We'll come back to that in a minute, but let's just continue. The ESV rendition of this verse says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unit. few words that needs a little bit of notice there. Live together in unit. And that suggests brothers can be together. Brothers or sisters can be together at times physically, but not necessarily together in their hearts and minds. They are in the same place, but they are world apart in terms of what they're going through, in terms of what they think about certain things. But here in this psalm, we are given a beautiful picture that they not only together in one place, but they have the unity of the heart and unity of the spirit. Similar to the words that are used in Acts when they were talking about the early church, that they had everything in common. When you looked at the early church, you wouldn't say this group comes from this area of the society and that group come from that particular area. of. They had everything. There was unity in everything. Of course, that's not what we're asking for here. But those words are talking about more of the unity, the unity of the physical unity, but the unity of the heart and the unity of the spirit. So Psalm 133 gives us a picture of something beautiful, how a healthy Christian relationship look like. But Psalm 133 also gives us a vision of something beautiful worth pursuing a vision of something worth fighting for in other words if you are here this morning you say to me see I've never tasted the joy of getting along with my brother in Christ maybe because you haven't embraced Christ as the Lord and Savior therefore you don't know how to relate with the other person as your brother and or sister in Christ Psalm 133 says to you, "Here is something worth pursuing. It's beautiful." But again, if you hear this morning, you say, "See, I know how it feels to get along with your brother, but somehow in the journey, I've lost that relationship." Psalm 133 says to you, "Don't throw your hands in the air. Give it another go." This is something worth fighting for. And then the psalmist enriches our vocabulary with these beautiful words. He describes this beautiful relationship as wonderful, as beautiful, as good and pleasant. Who wouldn't want something like that? We all should want that. It shows us a picture of something beautiful. It gives us a vision of something worth pursuing. But it also shows us the incentives of living together in unity. Have you spotted three benefits of getting along with your brother? Verses 2, he likens our unity with a precious oil. This precious oil is flowing down the head of Aaron down to his beard, and down to the collar of his robe. I have no idea why the psalmist felt the need to go into trouble giving us those details. The beard, the collar. But if you're interested to know the context of that image, go to Exodus 29. That's where the image is taken from. When Aaron was being ordained into priestly ministry, when he was anointed with his oil. So the psalmist goes back to Exodus 29 and giving us this beautiful picture. But here is something for you and I this morning that we must get hold of if we miss anything in that picture. is that the oil throughout scriptures is a sign of God's presence and a symbol of of the Holy Spirit of God. Do you know what's the first thing that gets hindered when the relationship between brothers and sisters in Christ is broken? Is the flow and the move of the Holy Spirit. That's the first thing that gets hindered. This is why Paul says when he talks about the communion, if you have an issue with your brother, before you partake on the body and the, and the cup that symbolizes the blood, go and sort the issue between your brother out. Because now you are taking part on the body that was broken for you, and yet you are divided in your heart. Sadly, as the church, we have become so used to leave in false relationship with one another. To an extent that we are not even aware that the Holy Spirit is hindered when we are not in good relationship. And I'm not talking about petty issues here. I'm talking about real issues, as we will see as we move along. So your relationship with your brother or sister has huge spiritual implications. No wonder then Paul will say, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. It's an instruction that requires an action. It's not an instruction for us just to know and say it. It requires an action to get up and go. One of the people at Johan's memorial service, one of the staff member in his office, talked about how they get on well with Johan, but at times things will be tense like they would be anywhere in the office. And bad words will be said to one another. But she said something so powerful. Johan was one of those people who was not scared to get up and go to the office, close the door, And say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. That instruction requires that kind of an action to you and I when it says, make every effort. The second incentive that we see in this psalm, it's there in verses 3. He likens our unity with the dew on the highest mountain. The dew that flows from mountain, Mount Hermon. Apparently, Mount Hermon was the highest mountain, and this view was so visible to everyone who lived next to this mountain as it flows down to Zion. Now, I have no time to expound this, as to say what's the representation of the view. But if you want to pick it up, the value and the significance of it, of course, I would say go to the rural, to the villages, to see. But here in the scriptures, we we see David writing his very uh, hearty lamentation after the death of Saul and Jonathan. He writes this lamentation so that everyone in Israel may sing it. I went back to this lamentation during the course of this week, not only to prepare for this sermon, but also to process my own grief as I reflect on the passing on of our beloved Johan. The metaphors are so closely linked to where you and I are at the moment as we reflect on Johan. Mountains of Gilboa may you have neither dew nor rain. Now this is David cursing the place in which his two friends were killed. He's cursing it and he's using these words that in that place in which our friend died, there may be neither dew nor rain. May no showers fall on your terraced field, for there the shield of the mighty was despised, the shield of Saul no longer rubbed with oil. So if we use those words to answer the question, what does the or what does this gue mean? The gue is the symbol of God's blessing, and the gue is the symbol of God's generosity. If we use those words, the last incentive that we see in this psalm is that there, there in that space where Christians live together in harmony with one another, God commands His blessing. There, in that place where they get along with one another, God commands his blessing. The life forevermore. Now, not only our relationship has spiritual significance, but it also has eternal significance. Life forevermore. Do you mean the way we get along with on this side is important? for the eternity, for the next life? Yes, it is. Somebody once said, two surprises that you will have when we get to heaven is to see the people that we didn't think they will make it. We all have those people. Unless you are not a South African. Unless you don't follow the politics of South Africa. Then I would say you don't have that person. But if you live in South Africa, you know the politics of... You have somebody in your mind. I don't think I'm going to see this dude today. And that guy says, You may be surprised to see him singing. Not Mshinwam, but singing the songs that we sing in heaven. I didn't mention names. But we'll also be surprised when we don't see the people... We thought we will see. So let's try and get along on this side so that when we are there forevermore, we don't want to run away from one another. Now, let's recap quickly. Psalm 133 gives us a picture of something beautiful. It gives us a measure of how a Christian healthy relationship looks like gives us a vision of something worth pursuing, something worth fighting for. But have you seen the hint in this psalm that living together in unity with one another is difficult? Yes, it is. You see, before we got married, Apu and I, we we were visited by my friend for a dinner. So we're talking and we're talking and he said to me, you know, You know, when you get married, you're going to need to adjust to one another. And I thought, no, you're mad. We're not going to need to adjust to one another. We can't wait to be together. He was right. You see, the first thing that happened to me was to realize, I don't know this guy as I thought I knew this guy, Sia, in relation to my wife. How much more it is when you and I, who comes from completely different backgrounds, we are to relate to one another. May I say this to you again? If you disagree with the fact that getting together in unity is difficult, if you disagree with that, I just want to say to you, you don't know yourself very well. Yes, yourself very well. It was Billy Graham who said, you've heard me say this, by all means, look for a good church. If you find it, you must know that it ceases to be good. If you find it. In other words, it's, the issue is with you. In the Calvin's Institute, we find these, this sentence. Very striking. Our best wisdom consists of two parts. The knowledge of God... And the knowledge of ourselves. The knowledge of ourselves there that Calvin is talking about is not knowing ourselves psychologically. As much as that is good. But it's the knowledge of ourselves theologically. Knowing ourselves in relationship to God. And as soon as we put ourselves here and put God here, we know who is the sinner in this situation. I am. Not God. I am the sinner, I am a product of redemption, but I am also a product of the fall. And while we are on this side, we wrestle with sin every day. Listen to the words of David Wells when he described what sin does to all of us. What sin does in, us, in all of us, it reduces the world to something that is very small, whose boundaries are largely our own self Interest. David Wells here is saying we are more selfish than we give credit to. That's where then the conflict begins because it's it's about me. No, no, no. It, it's and that's what happened this week when we had to meet and talk to the to the police. I said to the chaplain, "No, no, no. Johan was ours." He said, "No, no, no. Johan was ours." And in the end, we said, well, let's agree on loving him enough that we will do his service and dignity. We are more selfish than we realize. This makes it getting along with one another difficult. Matthew then helps us. Jesus in Matthew 18 helps us when we find ourselves of that, in that space of getting where we find it difficult to get along with one another. That brings us now to our second point, where we are to realize that, yes, it's a beautiful picture, but it's a very hard one to sustain. If your brother sins against you, who is my brother? Your brother is a fellow believer, and that includes somebody that we can also refer to as your sister. The language makes it out already that this is a family. These people belong together. We are brothers and sisters because of God, not because of our own choices. Maybe we would not choose one another if it was left to us. We are the family of God. But in the family, like in any family, life is not always harmonious. And so Jesus speaks here of a situation when, you, when a fellow believer sins against you. What happens in that situation? Verses 15 says, You go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. The emphasis there is on that word alone. Because often, too often, that's not what happens. Everybody else is told about the fault except the person in question. Everybody else knows about "Mm, something is wrong with this dude except the dude himself. Jesus says here, do not do that. Do not talk about them. Talk to them. Don't spread the issue. Don't gossip. Go to him between you and him alone. The hope is that he will listen. Because if he listens, you know what have you done? Jesus tells us, you have gained your brother. You have gained your brother. This is a healthy Christian relationship. It's now restored without drawing everybody else into it. It's wonderful like that, and it's beautiful. So, the attitude that we carry when we go to this, one, we are talking here to our brother. It's not an enemy. He's my brother. I'm not happy with what he's done, but still is my brother. Two, my aim is to gain my brother. I'm not going there to make the to prove the point. I'm not going there to put him in his place. I'm going there to reconcile with my brother. When I finished metric, I had to go and find work so that I can contribute to my family before I continue with my studies. There was a businessman here in the town who owned a couple of businesses around the city. I used to work for him during school holidays and so I said can I come full-time? He was happy. Now there was a tradition there when he goes to the bathroom, he will close the shop, the staff will go out and wait outside. So if the customer comes, you will say to the customer, will you please help? Wait a minute, he's coming now. Unless his brother or his children are there, otherwise when he goes to the bathroom, everybody out, the staff members. Now what happened is as the staff members walks out, they grumbling to one another, labeling him with everything that they would like to label him with. Unfortunately or fortunately for me, I was still new, so I haven't yet made it to the click. I needed to pass certain ropes in order for me to, to be there. So I couldn't I was not trusted with this this information. Which made it easy for me to go to him and say, Sir, why do you kick us out when you go to the loo? That was a significant conversation beautiful and the, and the conversation that made us find one another. He said to me it's one thing, he said to me first thank you for confronting me about this it's the hardest thing for me to do but I had to do it there were many people who came and worked for me before your time and none of them have left the shop because of new opportunities elsewhere They left because they stole something. So I had to make a decision, tough as it is, not to put anyone in temptation to do this thing. And that conversation brought us together. That conversation made me to know him better, and he knew me better. And I celebrate that conversation because 24 years later, I can still call this man my friend. I go to his house. I don't need to make an appointment. I can open his fridge and pour juice, especially the expensive one, the one I can't afford at home. That's a joke. I don't want you to think when when he comes to your house, he's going to go for an expensive juice. That was a joke. That my kids can go and swim. That's not a joke. In his swimming pool because I don't have one. But more than that. He calls me in tears. Because one of his children is going through a difficult time in marriage. I can't count how many times I've called him in tears. Because I'm going through my own issues. Literally tears. I could have allow my prejudices to confine him and racialize this whole thing, which had nothing to do with it. It was somebody trying to save his business and keeping the relationships going, whether they are superficial or not. But that conversation deepened our relationship. And that's somebody I look up to as my mentor today. If you have an issue with your brother, Go to him. Don't talk about him. Talk to him. Matthew tells us, or Jesus tells us, that he may not listen. What happens then? There's another process. Take two or three others. That's verse 16. I have no time. I'm not going to read it. But again, the same. Don't tell everyone. Keep it small keep it between these two people and the aim again is not to gang up against this person but is to say show me here if I'm making a big issue out of nothing and also hopefully is to persuade him to repent but if he still doesn't repent and acknowledge that he needs to change verse 17 says to you you take it now to the wider church And if even there he doesn't listen to the church As the church calls him to repentance We are told to consider him As a Gentile and a tax collector The point there is that you consider him As an outsider As a non-Christian Because he refused to listen to the gospel call to repentance. He refused to respond. Now I've gone to details. I must wrap it up. What does this mean to us as we apply it? Why Jesus is talking like this? Jesus, remember here, he is on his way to the cross. So what we are now reading here is the way of the cross. This is the way of of the cross. In chapter 16 he was talking about his church that will be built and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Now he's talking about who is the member of the church. And the member of the church is people who have benefited from the cross. The aim of Jesus here is to bring you and I into reconciliation with God. Although we started talking about getting on with one another, but the fundamental issue here is how we come back and be reconciled with God. And when we have been reconciled with God, how are we to reconcile with one another? Jesus is saying here, you and I are in log ahead with God if we have not embraced Jesus. And he's coming and he's taking the initiative to bring us back to God. By suffering on the cross. On Christmas we sing these words. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. When we forgive one another. We are echoing the words. That we read on the Lord's prayer. Forgive us our debtors. As we forgive those who sin against us. As we extend forgiveness to one another. We extend it in relation to the fact that you too have been forgiven. And that forgiveness needs to be shared amongst one another. I have no time to go through all the application. But if we are going to apply this message, we need to remember that. It is in the context of the cross that you and I have received God's grace. And it doesn't mean every time a brother or sister gets into your nerve, you are to start this process. This is when your brother sins against you. Not every time your brother gets into your nerves. Sometimes my kids get into my nerves because of the issues I'm going through myself. Sometimes I'm tired and stressing. And because I'm tired while they being children, their behavior makes me agitated. And Sometimes we get agitated with our brothers and sisters, not because of them, but because of what we're going through in ourselves. We're projecting our own issues in other people's behavior. So not every time that we are to start this process, sometimes we need to go in the corner and say, show me, Lord, is it me or him? And if we are true to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not going to say, you know what, I knew him. He doesn't like you. The Holy Spirit is going to say, it's you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this one is a very hard one. It is calling us not only to know these truths, but to act on them. Father, we confess that our sinful nature doesn't allow us to act on them, to admit our own sinfulness to our brothers. But ultimately, Lord, you're calling us to love our brothers enough that we can confront them and talk to them when we think, They are missing the point. Help us, Lord, to love one another. To love one another enough that we can confront each other and call us back when we go astray. So, Father, as we go into the week, remind us these truths. And help us to love others around us. And be able to have a gospel-shaped attitude to other people around us. For God's sake we pray. Amen.